I want to read in Genesis chapter 2. And we're going to be preaching a message today called God at Work, and I'll tell you about that in a moment. But there's two verses you see up here. The first one is, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. Then, in Genesis 3.23, it says, So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. And the people said, Amen, you may be seated. You may not know what you're saying amen to, but you will in a moment. God and Adam had a great relationship. Can you imagine being the only human being on the planet and having as your only relationship or your primary relationship was with God? That every single day, God would physically come and visit you. How do I know physically? Because the Bible says that Adam heard him coming. He would physically come in some kind, I don't know what kind of form, but he would take on some form and he would walk and he would talk with Adam. Can you imagine the knowledge that Adam had? Can you imagine how, how, how good Adam felt when he was in God's physical presence. Wow. Amazing. God created Adam. I mean, we're not talking, Adam had no father issues. Think about that. <laughs> he had no mother issues. He had, he had no history to fight. He had no downline. He couldn't blame anyone. Hello? I mean, he had the perfect father. And not only that, but his father was so wealthy that he said, Adam, I've got the entire world is mine, but I have created this special place for you, and it's called Eden. And he creates this incredible special place just for Adam. And then... I said he was the only one he had relationship with. I'm sure that he'd met a few angels along the way. I'm sure that, that he had some good conversations with some animals. Don't look at me like that. When the serpent talked to him, and when the serpent talked to Eve, she didn't freak out because the serpent was talking. Hello? He said, whoa, pastor. I don't, I, don't, I don't have a lot to base it on other than that. But, I mean, he had some type of relationship. My mother-in-law has said she can speak to animals, that she understands. And now, now that's been passed on to my wife. Anybody ever have a pet? Come on. I mean, our, our last dog, not this dog. I don't know that this dog communicates anything. But our last dog would tell us when she did something wrong. She would come and she would bow her head down and get very, very low. And we knew that she had done something wrong, all right? Okay, forget that. The point I'm making is Adam had a perfect environment. Perfection. No problems. No sickness. No disease. No brambles. No thorns. I mean, no problems. What a beautiful place. And yet the Bible says that it was not good for man to be alone. He wanted companionship, someone who understood what he was feeling because God was God, but man was man still, amen? And so he wanted someone, so God created this. But, but what I want to talk about today is this unique thing that, that we don't like to talk about and unfortunately don't talk a lot about in church. And earlier in the week, the Lord really spoke to me. that It was just this basic three-word sentence, God at work. God at work. We talk about church. We talk about apostles and prophets, and we talk about missionaries, and we talk about prayer, and we talk about a lot of things in church. But a lot of times we don't talk about what takes up for many in this room 40, 50, 60 hours out of your week, and that's your work. 
I love how someone came up with this. I wish I would have come up with it. I, lo- I love this statement, marketplace missionaries. But there, there's an there's a understanding that there is a marketplace, and, we, and sometimes we think that that is sacred or that is our work is secular and our church is sacred. Can I tell you, nowhere in Scripture can you find those two things. You can talk about holiness and you can talk about those types of things, but there's not sacred and secular. That is something that was created by someone to try and figure out what this difference was in this, in this kind of uh, a struggle and tension between life and God. But can I tell you, that should not be the way of the Christian. Everything should be sacred. Hello? It's one reason why we have so many issues with the media. It's one reason why we have so many issues with a lot of things in life, and we separate. When God has brought us together, we are whole. So I want to encourage you today that even our work can be holy. According to Genesis, I want you to see these two verses. Do you see the primary difference in these two verses? The primary difference in these two verses is one was when Adam was in that perfect place. The second one is after he had sinned and been removed from the garden. But there's something similar in that. There's two things similar here, actually three. First of all, Adam, second of all, God, and third of all, work. Come on, everybody. It's not a dirty word. I know you don't like to say it, but come on, say it. Work. My father-in-law is here. He used to say to me all the time, actually, he was the first pastor I'd ever uh, uh, left all of, all of the marketplace and went completely into ministry. Full-time ministry was with my father-in-law, and I'm eternally grateful for that. But one of, I think it must have been the first or second day on the job. I, I, was a little, I was complaining a little bit, and I'll tell you why in a second, but I was complaining a little bit, I think. And my father-in-law taught me a valuable lesson. He said, ministry is spelled W-O-R-K. Say that again. Ministry is spelled W-O-R-K. Work. And I think the reason I was complaining a little bit is because I got in. I set up my office. I was so excited. It was a Monday morning. We'd had a great service. And and I was so excited about being in an office. I mean, I had an office. That was cool enough as it was. And, and it was this, you know, kind of down and downstairs and, and in this kind of tucked away thing. But the office was mine. I mean, I could put my name on there, youth pastor, you know. And it was just really cool. And I had this office and this desk. And I was able to unpack my books and put my books in a bookshelf. And, you know, I was dreaming about things I could do in my office and, and all the great things that God was going to do. And this is my first full-time position. And, and I got there about 8 o'clock. And I was all done setting up about 8.30. And then I sat there and thought, now what do I do? <laughs> it didn't take long. About two and a half minutes later, my father-in-law walks in the door, and I think, oh, great. He's going to give me this assignment. He's going he's to tell me to go to this hospital and pray for somebody. He's going to come and say, okay, it's time. You need to get out there into the high schools and the junior highs, start, start rubbing shoulders with the principals and things like that. But, no, that's not what he told me. You remember what you told me, Dad? You don't remember. That's okay. I remember. I mean, he knows there's some things that are etched in your memory forever. And this is one of them. He said, oh, this looks nice. Come on, let's go. I said, yes. And I kind of noticed that he didn't look as nice as me. I mean, as far as his clothes, like he just, you know, I was kind of dressed up for that first day, and he was kind of dressed down. And I was like, okay, what's up? And he says, pick that up. And some of you are very familiar with this term. It's called, it's, it's a compound word. It's called sheet rock. Anybody ever heard of that? I said, pick that up. Yeah. Pick up that, what is it? It felt like 100 pounds. But he said, pick that up. Now hold that here. And that's what I did the rest of the day. Was held sheetrock in the air while he put it into the ceiling. And as we remodeled. That was my first day in full-time ministry. I'm here to tell you, work can be holy. You see, our work is part of, of how we worship. Our work is part of how we worship. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 5, it says, Now no shrub had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant had yet sprung up. For the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and, what does it say? There was no one to work the ground. Before God created Adam, he had created all of the earth, and he began to create everything, and he's in this creative process day by day, and he begins to create plants. And then he says, but not yet, plant. You stay there. 
seeds, you stay there. Because I have not yet created someone to work. Do you realize that we would not have the flowers? We would not have the roses. We would not have the shrubs. We would not have the grass. We would not have these things if God had not created Adam. So don't let the world tell you. Don't let the world tell you that we need less people on earth. Don't let the world tell you that we need less of a population so that the grass can grow more. No, if the grass takes over, the world will end. Well, that was a big amen. I know that goes against some of you, you know, climate control people and all that kind of stuff. But I'm here to tell you, without man, the earth dies. Have you ever seen a house that's been overtaken by the earth? Recently, they just, they're putting in a brand new warehouse because we need a new warehouse in the area. And so they're putting in another million square feet near my home. And they began to tear everything down, and they began to tear a lot of trees down. And i got to admit, that, that part I was not happy about. I was like, oh, man, so many beautiful trees going down. But there was also a lot of overgrowth and stuff. And I realized as I'm driving by, just kind of observing every day, as more and more comes down, I start realizing they start, they start working on this one area. And I had no idea, lived in that area almost four years now, there was a house there. It had literally been swallowed by weeds. And once they got it all down, then they tore the house down. But that's what happens when, when man is not there to take care of the earth. In fact, isn't that one of our commandments that God gave us, take care of the earth? But we need to understand that when we work, we're worshiping and we're partnering with God. I want you to make this statement. I didn't put it up here, but say work is one way. I partner with God. You see, Genesis 2 reveals that God worked in creating the heavens and the earth. In fact, we get that when he stops creating on day 7. It says he rested from his work. The word work there in the Hebrew is melcha, and it means to work, to labor, or business, or workmanship. It occurs over 160 times in the Old Testament alone. But I like this one in the New Testament. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do what? Good works. To do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. You see, you were not saved by works. Not one of us was saved by our works. Not one of us was good enough to be able to become saved. You don't work yourself up to salvation. Come on, somebody. We were saved by grace and by faith alone. That is it. We were not saved by our own works. However, once we're saved, according to Ephesians, God had already created works for us to do. He created works for us to do. And I believe that includes many of our jobs. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, it says, Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good deeds or good works and moral excellence and recognize and honor and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Our work glorifies God. Our work glorifies God. Look at Colossians chapter 3, verse 23 and 24. It says, Work willingly at whatever you do. Can I just stop there for a second? I looked this up and I realized that the word whatever in the Greek means whatever. Somebody say whatever. Not like a teenage, whatever. I'm saying like whatever. Whatever I put my hand to do, whatever I do, whatever work I do, do it as though you were working for the Lord rather than people. Anybody want to know how to advance in their job? You want to know how to advance and how to go higher in your job? Stop working for man and start working for God. When you go into that position, when you go into that job and you begin to say, I am here because, not because someone hired me, but because God put me in this place. If he raises up and he dispossesses leadership like kings, how many do you think, how many of you think that maybe he put you in the place you're in? 
Whether you start a business, whether you're hired on somewhere, begin to believe that God has placed me in this place because I work for him. When you work for God, you'll never lack for work. (laughs) And when you work for God, your finances will be taken care of. Listen, I had to learn this lesson the hard way. I'd been in full-time ministry for many years by the time we went to Florida. Actually, not many years, for a few years by the time we went to Florida. And we had many, many fruitful years in Florida. But when we left Florida to follow the call of God, I, we, we would often say we left a full-time paycheck. We left uh, wonderful insurance. We, we left the security of all of that behind to come and plant New Day Church. And when we did that, we learned an important lesson, and that was this. That I couldn't depend on a paycheck from a man anymore. You see, there were times that when I worked in Florida, a church, great church, and they had a business administrator that would write checks. Anybody remember when you used to write checks? They would write checks, and we would get checks on a certain day and a certain hour. And sometimes if you weren't there in the office at that time, your check didn't get to you because he would come around to every office and hand out the checks. Those were good days, right? I mean, that was the best day when the checks were handed out. And there were days, though, that if you weren't in the office, you had to wait maybe till the next day before you got your paycheck. And I would freak out, and I would go, God, what are we going to do? And one of the lessons that the Lord taught us when we left is he said, you've never worked for man. You work for me. Stop acting like you work for man. Begin to glorify me in your work. I want to quickly move to Haggai or Haggai, however you like to say it. Chapter 1, if you would turn there. After the Babylonians had destroyed most of Jerusalem in 605 B.C., there arose a generation that returned to begin the rebuilding process of Jerusalem. Haggai tells the story of the first thing they began to rebuild, and that was the temple. Later on, Nehemiah would come some... 50 years later, and begin to stir the people to rebuild the broken walls of Jerusalem. But they rightfully so began to rebuild the temple. But rebuilding the temple wasn't like a house group where you got together and had a meal and, you know, broke down the word or something like that. We're talking about the physical temple, the physical structure of the temple. And in Haggai chapter 1, we get a little bit of that. This is out of the New Living Translation says, this is what the Lord of Heaven's army says. Look at what's happening to you. Now go up into the hills, hills, bring down timber, and rebuild my house. Then I will take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. You hoped for rich harvest, but they were poor. And when you brought your harvest home, I blew it away. Why? Because my house lies in ruins, says the Lord of heaven's armies. While all of you are busy building your own fine houses, it's because of you that the heavens withhold the dew and the earth produces no crops. I have called for a drought on your fields and hills, a drought to wither the grain and grapes and olive trees and all your other crops, a drought to starve you and your livestock and to ruin everything you have worked so hard to get. Aren't you glad we live under grace? Uh, Verse 12. Then Zerubbabel, son of Shealtel, and Jeshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the whole remnant of God's people began to obey the message from the Lord their God. When they heard the words of the prophet Haggai, whom the Lord their God had sent, the people feared the Lord. Then the Lord their God, excuse me, then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave the people this message from the Lord. I am with you, says the Lord. I wanted to read this whole passage because I want you to understand that where they were at is they were starting, as they came back, they were discouraged as they saw the temple in ruins. But they began to rebuild their own houses, and then they stopped doing anything else. They rebuilt their own houses. They rebuilt houses for them to dwell in and live in, and then they stopped any other work. And Haggai is coming from the Lord saying, you've got to get back to building the Lord's house. And then he says in verse 14, So the Lord sparked the enthusiasm of Zerubbabel, son of Shealtel, governor of Judah, and the enthusiasm of Jeshua, Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the enthusiasm of the whole remnant of God's people. They began to work on the house of their God, the Lord of Heaven's armies, on September 21st of the second year of King Darius's reign. 
What's the point, Pastor? The point is that God spoke to Joshua, the high priest, and to Zerubbabel, the governor of Judah, and the people to start the work. The point is that God doesn't just anoint those who are in the ministry. He anoints those who work for him. We made a declaration a couple minutes ago that I work for God and not for man. And whatever I put my hand to do, I'm going to glorify God in that. Can I tell you, the anointing of God can be upon you to do your work. Whatever work it is. I don't care if it's construction. I don't care if it's medical care. I don't care if it's financial realms. It doesn't matter. Whatever you put your hand to, God can anoint you to do that work. God encouraged Zerubbabel. Now remember, Zerubbabel was not the priest. Zerubbabel was not in the ministry. He was a governor. He was a leader of a fallen community that was in ruins. And he was trying to do his best under, uh, under an iron fist of King Darius and, and, and those who would follow him to just keep things together. And here he is trying to do his best with what he has. And God comes to him, and Zechariah, the prophet, is sent to him, and he says, So he said to me, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. Now, I want to ask you a question. How many of you ever heard that verse? Raise your hand. If you're from any Pentecostal charismatic circle, you have definitely heard that verse over and over and over. And I've, I've even said it. God will build his church, and it's not by might, it's nor by power, but it's by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. But tomorrow morning, this is what I believe the Lord is saying to you. When you go in, and when you get up on a roof, and when you go begin to care for someone in a hospital, when you begin to say, I'm going to turn around and I'm going to begin to do these books or do this accounting, or I'm going to go out and I'm going to work in my garden, whatever it is, I want you to say tomorrow morning, God, you promised me it's not by might, it's not by power, but it's by the Spirit of the Lord that I'm able to do this work. I tell you, your boss will love you for it. And if you're the boss, your employees will love you for it. You're going to be a better worker. Look at your neighbor and say, you're already a better worker. Come on, somebody. (laughs) He said, what are you, mighty mountain, before Zerubbabel? Not before Joshua, but before Zerubbabel, you will become a level ground. Then he will bring it out with the capstone to shouts of, God bless it, God bless it. Then the word of the Lord came to me, the hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this temple. His hands will also complete it. Then you will know that the Lord Almighty has sent me to you. I need you to know this. Zerubbabel was not a contractor. Zerubbabel was not a stonemason. He was not a carpenter. He was a governor. He was a leader. He was a political leader. And yet God said, through your hands. What is he saying? He's saying that as Zerubbabel told the people, this is what you need to do. We need to get some good stonemasons. I don't have time to go into it, but if you go through these prophets and Haggai and and, and you go into Nehemiah, you find that God literally calls out and anoints stonemasons for his glory. He anoints carpenters for his glory. He anoints those who say to him, my heart is for you, O God, I work for you. The work was big, but God was bigger. I want to just leave you with this. How can we bring God into our work, even if our work doesn't seem very godly? Come on, anybody ever thought that? I got to tell you, I haven't always been in ministry, full-time ministry. There was a time, some of you have heard this before, but I'll tell you again. There was a time when when I had to deliver x-rays to doctor's offices. That was my job. Anybody know anything about that, right? 
Now you go get an x-ray, and what happens? The tech takes that. Yeah, they have a physical copy that they put in a file, but what do they do? They send it right to the doctor, right? It's right in his hands. But there was a day when we didn't have that technology. And so I was the technology. I was the email, right? And I would take those physical x-rays. I would take those, that physical stuff that came out of the MRI machines, and I would take that, and I would hand-deliver it to doctors as quickly as we could get it so they could talk to us. So I was driving all over the Metroplex, putting thousands of miles. And there were days I was like, dream break. And the Lord corrected my attitude. Begin to look and pray these doctors when you go in their offices. Begin to pray over these people that, that your hand, you're that you've got their x-rays, but begin to pray for them. Glory. And can I tell you, I got in, because before listen to the radio, KRLD, or the news station, bunch of stuff that just repeat ad nauseum. Anybody know what I'm talking about? It's just like over and over, what was from it and everything. It's, it's the same today as it was 30 years ago. Come on. And I would just listen to these things and just get this stuff. And when God corrected me, I began to listen to worship. I began to just pray in that time. And I'm in the van, and I'm going to download things to me. This happened. So quickly, here's what you can do. What can we do? First of all, be a carrier of God's presence. Be a carrier of God's presence. How many of you know that the Ark of the Covenant literally was the mercy seat? It was the dwelling place of God from heaven to earth. It was the touch point. But when Jesus that, we don't have a, a big solid chest of wood. You are the solid chest of wood. You are that dwelling place that the present God comes in and walk into his office. When you walk into when you walk into your own office, you bring and the power of God with you. Moses said, "Lord, don't we don't want to go without your presence." And God said, "Moses, my presence will go with you. Rest." And He said, "If presence does not go with us, do not send us up." That's that prayer for you. That when you begin to declare things in the morning that you would say, in the name of Jesus, I will not go without your presence. I want to go into my workplace. I want to go into my campus. I want to go wherever I go with your presence, God. I want to carry your presence wherever I go and allow your manifest presence to come out of me. He promised that offer. Second of all, don't just carry his presence, but cultivate. Verse 8 says this, come close to God and God will come close to you. Come close to God, and God will come close to you. I believe that as we take steps towards cultivating the presence of God in our lives, He will take God-sized steps towards us. Let me say that again. When we take human-sized steps, God takes God-sized steps. He is right there. And as we cultivate the presence of God in our lives, I was asking our, our deacons just this Wednesday night, we had a meeting and one of the, I asked them, and I told them, I, said, I want you guys to hold me accountable, and I'm going to hold you accountable. And I said, what are you doing to cultivate the presence of God? What are, what are you doing to, to keep Jesus at the center of your family? And what are you doing to cultivate that presence of God in your families? And I, I, gotta, I, I appreciate our deacons as they shared with me some of their struggles and as we shared some of those struggles and, and how it's not easy. <laughs> it's not always easy, but yet it's necessary. I mean, you know, nothing worth anything. I mean, never mind. I didn't write it down. So anyway, let me just say it this way. If it's worth it, it's worth doing. And it's worth doing it right. The presence of God is worth doing right. As we cultivate his presence. And I'm going to tell you, just get real here. Your flesh is going to put up a fight. This morning, I consider this, yes, a holy work, what I do here. Sunday morning, to me, is, is the body of Christ coming together and worship and giving God worship and praise, and then the preaching and the teaching of the Word of God. I, I consider that holy work. I do. But i got to tell you, it's just as hard for me to get to church as it is you, maybe a little harder. And it seems like some mornings like this morning, all hell breaks loose and our kids lose their minds. And then I lose my mind. And then I have to remember, wait a minute, this isn't about the mind, it's about the spirit. We had to have a little session in the car with me and some of our kids and, and, and pray and, and ask for forgiveness. And I mean, it happens. Hello? You think you're the only one that fights with your spouse on the way to church? 
when all the other time you're happy six days out of the week, but church day, oh, no. That's when the disagreement, we didn't disagree this morning. There's nothing there. We didn't ride together. (laughs) Boom. (laughs) Woo, glory. It's not easy, but it's worth it. It's okay if you lose it. Just ask for forgiveness and move on. Come on, somebody. This is real here. Moses said, and we sang about it this morning, show me your glory. Sometimes, even in that song, I think, maybe not, maybe I'm the only person in the room, but sometimes when we sing that song, I cringe a little bit because it almost sounds like a demand. Like, God, show me your glory. But that's not what Moses was saying, and that's not what I want our hearts to be saying. It's, God, I come into your presence You promised me that you would not leave me. And it was right after this encounter we just read where Moses, after this encounter, and God said, I'll be with you. And Moses says, don't don't send us up without your presence. He said, my presence will go with you. Then Moses says, show me your glory. What was Moses saying? He was saying, God, if you're good to your word, then God, do this for me. And may I remind you again, Moses was not a pastor. He was not an apostle. Scripture later on calls him a prophet, but that's because of what God spoke through him. But what was he? He was a shepherd. He'd been herding sheep. He was doing the work of the Lord when God encountered him. He was doing work that some would say was not God's work when God encountered him in the desert. I like what this one individual says. It says, invite God's presence throughout the day as you go about your ordinary activities. Take moments to pause and meditate on his goodness and thank him for being with you as you work. It may feel unusual to you at times, but as you cultivate greater intimacy, it eventually becomes as normal as breathing. I don't know who said that, but I like it. It becomes as normal as breathing as we cultivate greater intimacy with him. You see, this is about your own heart and life. This is about before you walk into that meeting, before you walk into that office, before you get in the car, wherever it is. It's about your own heart and life that we're cultivating a heart of worship, a sense of peace, and a priority of his presence. This is not as much about what you do and say as, as, excuse me, this is as much about what you do and say as much as what you choose not to do and say. That's important. That's why I messed it up. I need you to hear this again. This is as much about what you do and say as much as what you choose not to do and say. We have a little saying in our household. I do or do not do things because I love Jesus. It's easy to say, well, that's a sin, that's this, that's that, but... But I do or do not do certain things because I love Jesus. There are certain things that I do, not do, that some would say, oh, that's sin, and others would say, oh, that's not sin. But I choose not to do them because I love Jesus, because that's the way he's led me. Nowhere in Scripture will you find a verse that says, thou shalt not watch R-rated movies. Now, with my grandparents' background, you would think that it did. Because if you went, forget R-rated, if you went into the movie house, I remember when we took my mom, what was it, Little Rascals? I think we went to see Little Rascals. And it was like my mom was trembling as she was walking into the theater. Like, oh, I was always taught if I walk into the theater and Jesus comes, I might not go. That's not in Scripture. It's not. However, somebody say however. However, we choose not to allow movies into our home. And I'm going to tell you, there's some G-rated movies that we don't allow in our home. If you'd like to know a list, we can tell you, but that's us, not you. Hercules is one of those. I don't care that it's a Disney movie. We're not going to allow that demonic, the one that I think they even call him Satan or devil or something in there. There's a main character. We're like, no, I'm sorry. That's not allowed in our house. Is that too much for you? I'm sorry. 
So there's certain things we do and don't do because we have a relationship with Jesus. And because of that relationship with Jesus, he's convicted us about certain things. Now, there's certain things that are sin. Come on, somebody. And we got to say no to those things as we cultivate this intimacy. But I'm getting off track. So let me get back here. The power of life and death is in the tongue. And those who love it will eat whatever fruit is produced. Proverbs 18, 21. The power of life and death is in the tongue. And those who love it will eat whatever fruit is produced. We're talking about cultivating. We're talking about doing things and not doing things, saying things and not saying things. And how many of you know your words are just as powerful, sometimes more powerful than what you do? I keep moving. When you've made a place in your life in the presence and for the presence of God's Spirit, here's the last thing. Then begin to create an atmosphere for Him to dwell at work. Did you know that you can set the atmosphere at your workplace? You can set the atmosphere on the campus. You can set your, the atmosphere even in your own home. You can set the atmosphere through prayer, through praise, through worship, with or without music. You can set the atmosphere by declaring the word of God, by, by saying the word of God. You know, there's seasons and times that we literally tape the word of God up on our walls. Right now, this literally happened. Again, I'm being real, not to uplift us. It's In fact, it's like this is how broken we are. We have to tape scripture on our wall. And we had a breakdown with one of our kids yesterday. And I could feel it rising. You know what I'm saying? Anyway, oh, come on. Don't look at me so holy. Can you feel it rising? And I had to, oh, and I looked and I saw those scriptures on the wall. Oh. And, I, and I took, I won't tell you who it was, but I took one of them aside and we sat on the steps. And we begin to recite those scriptures. I won't tell you who it is. She can't read really well yet. But I, we began to recite those scriptures. And I began to teach her, I mean them, the scriptures. Can I tell you, this is the truth. It wasn't an earth-shattering movement. The Holy Ghost didn't come down and people start falling out under the power. But it was a powerful moment. A simply powerful moment as the word of God is coming out of this child's mouth. Talking about self-discipline, self-control. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, right? Actually, she quotes that one, no problem. Do you understand what I'm saying? We can, some, some people get weirded out about this, but we can shift the atmosphere. We can shift the atmosphere from undesirable to desirable. I say it this way, be a thermostat and not a thermometer. A thermometer can read the temperature but do nothing to change the atmosphere. We do it all the time, don't we? Alexa, what's, what's the weather outside? Alexa, what's the temperature outside? Oh, great. It's a million degrees. Wonderful. Alexa, can you do something about that? Nope. Not a thing. But some of you have gotten really, 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 like, fancy, right? So let me give you the modern-day version of that. Be the nest, not the weather app. Few of you will get that. I don't have one, but I, I'd like one. What's the nest? You tell the nest. Alexa, set the temp at 72. And it changes the thermostat. That's pretty cool. But what does the weather app do? Just tell me how bad everything is all over. I can, I can get, I can figure out that the atmosphere is not good, but I want to be an influencer of the atmosphere. You remember Cornelius? We talked about him a few weeks ago. He was an Italian man, and that makes him one of our favorites, but also he was an influencer. He was a family man, but he was a soldier. He was a commander in the Italian regiment, but he was a lover of God. And as he was in prayer one day, God shows up. It says, I've seen your gifts to the poor. I've seen your sacrifices. Now I want to show you a more excellent way. Send to Joppa for Peter. He was able to shift the atmosphere of his family and the soldiers that were under his care. 
Can I say it this way? He was an employer with a bunch of employees. And he shifted the atmosphere for them because he listened for the voice of God. And he invited Peter, a carrier of God's presence, into the workplace. And then that shifted everything. Lydia was a dealer in purple. We talked about her, a dealer in textiles, an entrepreneur. She listened to what Paul said, a carrier of God's glory and presence. And she invited them into her home and into her business. And it changed everything. And can I tell you, Lydia was a key point to work with the apostle in changing a city. We're not positive, but we're pretty sure that Paul and Silas, just after a few weeks, left Lydia and some other key people who were brand new believers in charge of of the church at Philippi, and out of that grew one of the greatest outposts for the gospel to the Gentiles that there ever has been. And, of course, we got Philippians out of it. And how did he do it? By partnering the apostle with the marketplace missionary. I believe that's how we're going to see revival come. Come on. You see... What you do at work matters to God. Make God matter at work. Look at your pastor for a second. Don't depend on someone else to shift the atmosphere. Be the one that shifts the atmosphere. Be the one that walks into that place and not demanding your own way, but beginning to say to God, God, as I now have your presence, as I walk into this place, I ask you would just release your presence in this place. Every time you have a meeting with a client, say, Holy Spirit, I know that this thing could turn out for my good, my financial good, but this isn't about my financial good because you're my employer and you take care of me. I believe the Holy Spirit is on this statement. When I walk into that with a client, when I walk into that with a customer, when I walk into that with my boss, when I walk into that situation, God, it's not about me, it's about you. You'll take care of my finances. God, I'm not looking for a promotion from man. I'm looking for a promotion from you, and I want to reach this person for you. I want the glory of God to be released on those that I have authority over, And those in authority over me. Begin to shift the atmosphere at work. Invite the manifest presence of Jesus into your work and your family and your life. I want you to stand with me. That statement, God at work, I knew it as soon as he spoke it to me, has a dual connotation. We want to take God into our workplaces, into our campuses, into our homes, wherever we go. But I also believe that God wants to work in us. God wants to work in us. God is at work in us. Don't ever think that you have arrived. Listen, there's some people in this room that are over that, mm, what would you call that? Octogerian? How do you say that? Over 80. There's a few in this room. And I have witnessed growth in their lives. And they've told me about how God has grown them, even in the last couple of years. Things they've learned. Can I tell you, they're my heroes. If they can keep learning, how many know I can keep learning? Can you just lift up your hands for a moment? Just say, Holy Spirit, come work in me. God, I want to be a carrier of your presence. God, I want to be a carrier of your presence. I want to be a carrier, and I want to carry you wherever I go. Whatever I say, whatever I do, Can someone just come and begin to play that 
goodness of God. I don't, it doesn't matter to me if it's piano or guitar or whatever. Just somebody come. Just keep those hands lifted with your eyes closed right now. I believe the Holy Spirit wants to do something right here and right now. We don't have to wait. We don't have to wait for a revival service. We don't have to wait for something else. God wants to do something. He's at work right now. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We're going to sing it. Not yet. We are going to sing it in a minute. But just play lightly. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Holy Spirit, come. If you're in this place, as we're just in this place of allowing the Holy Spirit to work on us, maybe you're watching online. Your heart is not only not in the right place, but you know that you need to come into a relationship with Jesus Christ. Jesus wants to change you from the inside out. Your works will not change you. No matter how many times you come to church, it won't change you. No matter how much money you give to missions, give to God, it, it's, that's not what's going to change you. Those are things that for the, for the redeemed. But if you try and do those to impress God, that's not going to impress God. It's not going to save you. There are many people who unfortunately have given a lot of money into the kingdom of God. And we're grateful for them, but it didn't secure their place in heaven. Jesus warned the Pharisees of that very thing. He says, you do these things, you even tithe, even on the smallest little thing, the whatever, even, even in your little herb garden, you tithe. But you lack justice and mercy. You should have done the former, but also done the latter. Jesus warned us that we cannot make our way into heaven by what we do. It's by what he's already done. We just have to receive it. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, if, I just want to know if you're in this place and you say, Pastor, I know I want to glorify God, but I know that he and I are not right. That there is a distance between me and him. And today... I want to ask for forgiveness and I want to close that distance and I want, to, I want to begin to follow him with my whole heart. If you can, just wave at me and say, I want to do that today. I want to do that today. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Seeing no one, I want to follow up with this question. How many of you would say, I know that I'm on my way to heaven. I know that, that I'm right with God. But I sincerely, I sincerely want to grow in this area of, of bringing the presence of God into my workplace, into my family, into my, whatever that means. For some of you, that, that means your neighborhood. For some of you, that, that means multiple things. But you say, this is, this is on my heart and I sincerely I sincerely want to stop working for man and I want to start working for God and start living this life even tomorrow by carrying his presence wherever I go. I want you to lift your hands. God, I, I pray in the name of Jesus for those that are with lifted hands, God, that you're convicting and talking to you right now. God, that we would, we would stop doing it our own way. And in the name of Jesus, we ask for forgiveness for continuing to try to do things our own way. And God, we say to you, we are here. We surrender to you now. Come fill us to overflowing with your spirit. We will be a carrier of your presence. We commit to you that we will be a carrier of your presence. Hallelujah. Everyone, again, just lift up your hands all over this place. And I want us to sing. Somebody come help. I want us to sing. Oh, there's back there.
Cause all my life you have been so, so good With every breath that I am able I will sing of the goodness of God the Holy Spirit wants us to do one more thing. If you are in a manager, owner, operator, entrepreneur, ownership, in other words, if you are in a place where you have people under you, maybe you still have people over you, but you you have people under you in your workplace that you direct, I want you to come and stand right here. Holy Spirit wants to impart something right now. If you're a manager, you have someone, even if it's one or two people, just come and stand right face me right here, guys. If employees, you have somebody under you that you direct. the Holy Spirit says that you are in a position of authority because I placed you in that position. You are in a unique place to influence someone else. In other lives and even some of you entire families. Because your influence in that one or two or ten or fifty individuals lives literally affects hundreds and the Lord is saying to me I I wondered why he had me throw in Cornelius I believe the Holy Spirit is saying that like Cornelius the spirit of the living God is about to visit your workplace and when he does he's going to do it through the vessel of you and he wants you to be prepared for that not ashamed not afraid of what others might think, say, or do. Be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. But the Lord is about to do something powerful in you. I want you to reach out your hands to these right now. Just stretch out your hands. We're going to lay hands on you, and I believe that God is going to impart something to you. Get ready. Get ready. Get ready. Just keep singing. Every 
you're a worker I want you to lift your hands and you guys stay right here for a second if you work for somebody or, or you're, you're I, I would even say a student or a volunteer in an organization I want you to lift your hands just lift a hand say I'm a, I'm a worker I'm a student or I'm a volunteer that's, I know that's going to be most of you this is what I want you to do you guys have your first assignment before you set place before you set your foot back in your place of work, I want you to go lay hands on these individuals right now. Keep your hand up. I'm a worker. I'm a student. I'm a volunteer in an organization. Raise your hand. These guys are going to come and they're going to lay a hand on you. They're going to pray. If you have a prophetic word, just release it right now in Jesus' name. God, we thank you and we praise you, God. God, we are called to work. For those of you that, that aren't one of those, I know many of you retired, just begin to pray for your family. Begin to pray for those, your neighbors. God is not done with your influence. He's not done with your influence at all. So right now we just release the presence of God. We release the glory of God. For those watching right now, we release the glory of God even into your home, even into the place of work, even right now as you're, as you're watching this, maybe a week later, in the name of Jesus, we release it. We release your glory, God. We release your glory, God. We release your glory, God. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah.
Nate, get the words ready. I want us to do that one line, your goodness is running. Your goodness. And I want you to take this line with you from here today. And I want you to know that the goodness of God is running after you. The presence of God is chasing you down. Just let him overcome you. So come on, put the words up on the screen and go ahead, sing that. Sing that.